podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. good boys and girls two for the podcast today is friday the 6th of october i hope you're all well and that your weather is treating you better than mine is treating me right we are going to go through last night's europa league games the conference league games a little bit of copa libertadores as well and then news and gossip go to break bring in guy we'll run through this weekend's premier league fixture so we'll start with europa league in Group A, Freiburg 1, West Ham 2, Lucas Paqueta and Naif Agard with the goals to give West Ham a very, very good win away from home. Uh, TFC 2, Olympiacos 2, 
pretty good point. Um, back at Topola is the, the club known as TS, TSC. Uh, pretty good point for Olympiacos away from home, though I think they would have been expecting to win that one. Uh, so that group looks like this. West Ham top on six points, Freiburg next on three, Olympiacos and TSC on one. On to Group B, Marseille 2, Brighton 2. Brighton went 2-0 down. Former Premier League players, Chancel Mbemba and Jordan Veritois with the goals on 19 and 20 minutes. Pascal Gross got uh, Brighton back into it on 54 and João Pedro with a late goal on 88 minutes from the penalty spot to rescue a point for the Seagulls. AK Athens won, Ajax won, a Stephen Bergvine penalty for Ajax there. So that group is AK top <clears throat> on four points, Marseille and Ajax on two points, and Brighton on one point. Those two games coming up with Ajax now are huge for Brighton. In Group C, Real Betis two, Sparta Prague one, uh, Isco with the winner in that one. Aris Limassol two, Rangers one. Very disappointing for Rangers having beaten Real Betis in the first game. I think this was a game they were looking at as one they were confident of winning. To lose this one, it, it's going to make their qualification a little bit more complicated because they've got the two games against Sparta Prague next, which will be tough. Say they split them, I think they'll have to beat Aris Limassol at home to qualify. Um, moving on then to group, they all, all four teams have three points in that one, I should point out. And all four teams have a goal difference of zero. So, there's that. Uh, on to Group D. Sporting 1, Atalanta 2. Scalvani opened the scoring. Ruggieri made it 2. Uh, former Coventry striker Victor Jokerez with a penalty there to get one back for Sporting, but they couldn't find an equaliser. So, great win away from home for Atalanta, who topped that group. The other game in the group was Sturmgratz beating Rakow 1-0 in Rakow. Uh, really good result for them. So, Atalanta top, Sporting and Sturmgratz on three points. Rakow, probably the whipping boys in the group, on no points. Group E, Liverpool 2, Union St. Gilles nil. Uh, Gravenberch and Diogo Jota with the goals, a fairly uninspiring game. But three points is all that matters for Liverpool. In the other game, Toulouse beat Lask 1-0. Suazo with the only goal of the game. So Liverpool top with six points. Toulouse next with four Uh, Union on one and last on zero. Moving into Group F, Villarreal one, Ren nil. Uh, Alex Sorlat with the only goal of the game, former Crystal Palace striker. Maccabee hyphen nil, Panikonaitos nil in the other game. So Panikonaitos are top on four points, then Villarreal on three, Ren on three, and Maccabee on one. Group G, Roma 4, Servette 0, Lukaku 2 from Bellotti and Pellegrini. Slavia Prague 6, Sheriff Tiraspol 0 in the other one. So Slavia Prague are top on goal difference from Roma. Those two sides have 6 points. The other two have no points. And in all likelihood, that's kind of how the group will go. Uh, group H then, our final group. Molda 1, Bayer Leverkusen 2. Um, Jeremy Frimpong, former City and Celtic player, scored on 14 minutes. Nathan Teller, formerly of Southampton and Burnley, scored on 18. Looked very comfortable for Bayer. 
But then Brevik scored in the 87th minute and Bayer had to cling on at the end and get their win. But get it, they do. Quarabeg also beat Hacken 1-0. Janino with the only goal of the game. So Leverkusen and Quarabeg both have six points. They face each other in the two next games. So that'll be interesting. Then it's Mould and Hacken on no points. And that is where we stand with the Europa League. On In terms of the Conference League, we start in Group A. Uh, Olympia Luzlana, nil. Slovan Bratislava, one. Kavrik uh, penalty. My Pharaoh friends, nil. Lille, nil. Re- really good result for the Pharaoh side. Uh, so Slovan, six points. Lille, four points. The Faroese, one point. And Lublana on no points. In Group B, Braublik nil, Zoria Lahansk one, and Ghent two, Maccabi Tel Aviv nil. So Ghent top on four points, Zoria also four points, goal difference separating them. Maccabi have three points, Braublik have no points. In Group C, Astana one, Victoria Pleasant two, and Balkani two, Dinamo Zagreb nil. Big upset in that one, I would suggest. Uh, Victoria top with six points, Balkani next with three, then Dinamo with three. The head-to-head puts Balkani above them, even though uh, Dinamo have a better goal difference and have obviously scored more goals as well after a heavy win in the first game. Astana bottom on no points. In Group D, uh, Bodo Glimp nil, Club Bruges one, uh, Vanagen, who Hans Vanagen, I don't know how he's still playing in Belgium. Um, he scored in the first game as well. He's been linked to a bunch of Premier League clubs over the years, but still there and still happy, it would seem. Uh, Besiktas 2, Lugano nil. Now, I said I was going to watch this. I did watch this. And I, I came away not knowing what I'd just seen. Uh, Besiktas went one up through a Bubakar on 38 minutes, then two up through a Bubakar on 52 minutes. Everything seemed to be in hand. And then they completely collapsed in the last 10 minutes. Alaseda gets one back on 81. Vladi gets the second back on 86. They've just thrown away a win. It's now going to be a draw. And then all of a sudden, just because, why wouldn't you? Eric Bailly puts through his own net. And it's 3-2 to Legano. And Legano now topped the group on four points. Club Bruges also have four. And Besiktas, who should have four points, have one point, as do Bodo Glimt. In Group E, AZ Alkmaar won, Legia Warsaw nil, and Aston Villa won, Zrinski Mostar nil. A late John McGinn goal, 94th minute, to give Villa a well-deserved win in fairness, but they made tough work of it. A lot of huff and puff. Uh, Fiorentina 2, oh sorry, the group in that one, uh, Villa are bottom, but only on goal difference because they've scored less goals. All the teams have three points. All the teams have zero goal difference. But Zrinski and AZ have both scored four and conceded four. Legia and Villa have scored three and conceded three. I still expect Villa to win the group uh, fairly comfortably. But two tough games coming up against AZ Alkmaar. Uh, group F then, Ferenc Varos went to Florence and got themselves a 2-2 draw, which was a good result. Uh, however, they were 2-0 up and will feel a bit aggrieved not to have seen it out. 
Varga and Cisse with the goals. Barak and Ikone with a last gasp equaliser for Fiorentina. Ferenc Farish are top, then Genk. Both have four points. Uh, then it's Fiorentina on two points and Kukuriki on no points. Uh, feels like the Fiorentina Kukuriki games will be telling because. If they win both of them, they'll go to eight points. And Ferenc Farosh Genk, I kind of feel like they might split or maybe even draw both games. Um, moving on to Group G, PAOK 2, Eintracht Frankfurt 1, and Aberdeen 1, HJK 1. Uh, PAOK are top, then Eintracht, six points, three points. HJK and Aberdeen at one point each. Finally then, Group H, Nordelsjan 7, Ludogorets 1. Um, Nordelsjan went 1 up through a penalty, Ingvartsen. Verden equalised for Ludogorets with a penalty on 9 minutes. Osman scored on 11 minutes, and then Nordelsjan just ran away with it and ended up winning 7-1. Spartak Tarnava 1, Fenerbahce 2. Josh King, former, was he born with an Everton attacking player? Winger, Ford, whatever, uh, got both goals for Fenerbahce there. So Fenerbahce are top on six points, Nordelsjend on three, Ludogorets on three, and Spartak Ternava on no points. And that is where we stand then. We have had, over the last two nights, the second leg of the two semifinals of the Copa Libertadores. So if you missed it, on Wednesday night, um, Fluminense, Fluminense, went to International, went 1-0 down, so 3-2 down on aggregate. Looked like they were going out. John Kennedy, which is just a fantastic name for a player playing his football in Brazil, uh, who is a Brazilian-born player, uh, but John Kennedy, he gets one back, gets them back on level terms on 81 and then Jermaine Cano scores the winner on 87. And Fluminense, who are, I suppose, a bit of an oddity that everybody, not everybody, a lot of people tune in to watch because they play such a ridiculous style of football. Um, they're through to the Copa Libertadores final, where it had been expected they would face Palmieri's because in the first leg of Palmieri's versus Boca, Boca played about as well as they possibly could have. Palmieri's were awful, and the game ended nil-nil. Last night, Boca go 1-0 up. Edinson Cavani puts them ahead on 23 minutes. Then Marcus Rojo gets sent off. Joaquin Picares scores on 73. And you think, okay, Palmieri's are going to win this. It's now level. They've got the man advantage. They're a really good team in this competition. They're going to go on and win this. But no, wasn't to be. Boca win 4-2 on penalties. And what's really interesting about this Boca team is they're not one of what you'd have described as the great Boca teams that we've seen over the last 25 years. But they have this incredible mentality. For example, in the group stage... They were in Group F, and they came through top. Okay, And they looked pretty good, but there were some concerning elements to their play. 
into the knockout phase, the round of 16, they draw international, no, they draw national of Uruguay. Nil-nil draw in the first leg, 2-2 in the second leg, and they win 4-2 on penalties. In the quarterfinal, they draw Racing Club, nil-nil in the first leg, nil-nil in the second leg, and they win 4-1 on penalties. And here we are, nil-nil, 1-1, and 4-2 on penalties. Can they Can they win this competition without winning a single knockout game? Can they get seven draws in a row and win four penalty shootouts in a row? That's the question, and I hope they can. I really hope they can. Uh, that final will be played on the 4th of November. So check and see uh, where it will be played this year. The Libertadores final used to be a two-legged affair, but a couple of years ago it was changed and it's now a one-legged affair. So the final will take place at the Maracana in Rio, which is a significant advantage to Fluminense, whose home ground is the Maracana. Now, they will be officially the away team in that final, but you know the stadium is going to be 85% Fluminense fans. And Boca, as the home team, will have a much smaller amount um, it was interesting that Cavani played the entire 120 and then missed his penalty because he was absolutely exhausted. And that's been the case for him. He is, he's playing a lot of minutes for them. Um, but this Boca team have some very good players. Fluminense have a couple of really interesting players as well. Most notably, I suppose Ganzo is a player everybody will remember when he first came through at Santos and, and look like, you know, along with Neymar, was before Neymar? He was before Neymar. Who did, He came through at the same time. Now, Neymar came through not long. Let me see. Now, Neymar and him would have been about the same time. Because Neymar was 17 when he... Yeah, Neymar came through in 2009. Ganzo had come through a year earlier. And they were like the two big bright sparks in Brazilian football. And he went to Sao Paulo rather than going abroad. I did really well there. Then he finally came to Europe with Sevilla and just it just didn't work. He'd waited too long to make his move. He was 27 coming to Europe. Uh, was unsuccessful there. Had an unsuccessful loan at Amiens. Went back to Fluminense at 30 and has been nothing short of brilliant for them. Somehow only ended up with eight caps, which is a bit of a scandal because he is a fantastic player. And he's been great for them. Um, the other really notable players here, Filippo, Felipe Melo, uh, who had a, has had a long career. He's 40 now. Um, he was with Fiorentina, Juve, Galatasaray, Inter Milan. Spent 10 years in Europe, actually longer. Came to Europe in 2005 with Mallorca, then Racing, Racing Santander, then Almeria, then Fiorentina. Went back to South America 
in 2017 and joined Palmieri's and was a big part of the Palmieri's team that won two couple of the Dores. And now he is, he is trying to win his third, um, which would be a, a hell of an effort to be fair. And I assume this will be his last season. And then the one that a lot of people are talking about, and that's Andre. And he's been strongly linked to Liverpool and a couple of other clubs. Very, very good midfield player. I assume he moves to Europe in January. Where that will be remains to be seen. But a combative midfielder, like a more robust Thiago, doesn't have the same level of genius on the ball, but a very good passer of the ball. Um, Liverpool strongly linked. I'm not really sure where he fits now because he's not a six. He's not a six in the Premier League. Not as a lone six anyway. Um, but look, maybe that's what they're going to do with him. Um, but yeah, I mean, Fluminense have some, some really interesting players. Uh, young Mar- or young Martinelli in midfield is, is well worth a watch. He's, he's been with them a, a good while now at this point, but he is still only 21 to be fair. Uh, but I think he's like three or four years into being a first choice starter. Um, Jorge, the left back, he's been around a long, long time as well. Whether he plays or not remains to be seen. He's in on loan from, from Palmieri's. And that's pretty much it. Boca, though, some interesting players here. So, uh, Frank, Frank Fabra has been around a long time. He's been, with Baca since 2016, was their long-term left-back. But his place was taken by young Valentin Barco, who seemingly is set to join Man City in January and looks a hell of a player. Ezekiel Fernandez is is a lunatic. And he's so much fun to watch as a ball-winning midfielder. Absolutely fearless. So keep an eye on him. Obviously, some names people will know. Marcus Rojo, formerly of Manchester United, I assume now suspended for the final. He's the club captain. Uh, Sergio Romero, also formerly of Manchester United, is there as well. Edinson Cavani, also formerly of Manchester United, is there too. What was that? Let me just have a quick gander at their team from last night. Oh, the other Fernandez, Guillermo Fernandez. A bit more experience. He's been around a long time, but he's a really nice player to watch. I'm surprised he didn't leave South America at some point. Um, and Ezekiel Sabalos is one to keep an eye on. He's a winger. Doesn't play every game. Just noticing Barco played left back last night because uh, I only watched the highlights of it. Uh, ahead of Fabra, who played at le- he played left wing, Barco did, and Fabra played left back. Um, Fluminense been at home is going to be massive in that final. Anyway, on to the news. Uh, Paul Pogba's B sample has tested positive, and Pogba is now facing a four year ban. That is career-ending. Now, if he can prove he took it accidentally, then it's probably a two-year ban. 
his time at UV has been nothing short of a disaster. And I would imagine Juve will be very happy if they can terminate his contract. Uh, he signed a four-year contract last summer and he managed to play a sum total of 10 games in all competitions, uh, six in the league. And this season he's played two games. Uh, I would guess they'll be very, very happy to move him on. What a disappointment his career has turned out to be. 30 years of age now, past his prime, had all the talent in the world and decided to waste it. Now, he likely doesn't care. He's made a fortune. He won four league titles with Juve, a couple of cups, won a Europa League with uh, United, won an EFL Cup, and he won a World Cup. So, you know, he has achieved a lot, but compared to what he should have been, Nowhere close. Nowhere close. He should have been comfortably the best midfielder of his generation. And he just didn't come close to it. Got too caught up in being a brand. Similar to Neymar. Um, What else do we have here? Uh, Tino Livermento has been called up to the England under-21 club. Uh, under-21 squad. Uh, Jarrett Branthwaite has signed a new deal at Everton, which is a big, big deal for Everton because he's been really, really good. Really, really good. One of the few bright spots in that team. Uh, On to the gossip. Newcastle and Liverpool are monitoring Jared Bowen as negotiations over a new contract at West Ham continue to move slowly. That's talk sport. I'm not putting any faith into it. Uh, Manchester City plan to hold talks with Erling Haaland over a new contract Um, I think Real would like Haaland and Mbappe together I think Osman and Mbappe makes a lot more sense and it's probably more affordable to do especially wage wise Barcelona will compete sorry Manchester City will compete with Barcelona to sign Xavi Simmons from PSG next summer but PSG are adamant that they're keeping him long-term. Jaden Sancho wants to rejoin Borussia Dortmund in January. That's come from 90minutes.com, so probably crap. Ecuador midfielder Moises Caicedo joined Chelsea instead of Liverpool because he had already promised his signature. No, he joined because his agent got given big bags of money. That's why he joined. Chelsea are planning talks with Conor Gallagher as he heads into the final 18 months of his contract. They couldn't wait to get rid of him in the summer. Now he's captaining them and he's getting new contracts after a handful of games in which the team has been crap, by the way. Uh, Andre Onana is reluctant to take time away from Manchester United to play for Cameroon at the AFCON. I think United might be hopeful he'll go to the AFCON. West Ham are keeping tabs on Emil Smith-Rowe. Makes sense. Japan winger Karo Matoma is close to signing a new deal with Brighton, which is amazing for Brighton. Absolutely amazing. Newcastle have opened talks to extend Sean Longstaff's contract, which makes sense. The Qatari group bidding for Manchester United will not increase its existing offer to $5 billion, despite the threat being posed by a new deal put forward by Jim Ratcliffe. Uh I, I understand journalists have to, you know, fill column inches, 
but go away. Uh, Jared Brandt with new contracts. Chelsea have told Trevor Chalaba he is free to find a new club in January. It's just baffling to me that this is what they're doing with him because he should be playing for them. Like <clears throat> him and him in midfield with Enzo and Caicedo, him as the holder would at least give you a really strong midfield base, protect your defense, allow both of them to play their kind of more natural games and make up for the fact that you're a bit short on attack. You could then play maybe Ian Matson at left back and let him just bomb forward endlessly because you'd have Chalaba able to drop back in between your two centre-backs, who should be, at this stage, De Sassi and Colwell, that becomes a back three. Reese James can step into midfield and playmake with Enzo and Caicedo can become the holder. Matson can go left wing. You could play Mudrick on the right wing. So you'd have Mudrick wide right, Matson wide left, Sterling just off Jackson then as a front two. So in possession, you basically go... Three, three, four, and out of possession, it's a four, three, three. Out, it's a couple of players would have to, you know, switch shape, switch positions between the on ball and off ball shape. But certainly, it would make the most of what you have. You get your better players into better positions, but you know, you carry on. You're eleventh in the league. Uh, Liverpool have made Andre Trinidad a, Trinidad a prime target for January according to Mark Jones in the Daily Mirror, who knows absolutely nothing about what Liverpool are doing. Uh, Wayne Rooney could only have one more game in charge of DC United after a 3-0 defeat by Austin, all but ruined their chances of reaching the MLS playoff. Let's have a look at this season's MLS season. Uh, we can pull up the table. Uh, so they're 11th in the... In the East. Well, it's not great, is it? That, that's not great at all. Uh, in the overall table, they're 23rd. Nine teams from each conference qualify for the playoffs. So eight plays nine in the wild card round. And then the winner of that takes on the number one seed. And then it's, you know, Two versus seven, three versus six, four versus five. So at the moment, they're one point behind Montreal, who currently sit in the ninth spot, but they have played a game more than Montreal. What have they got left? So their next game, they're at home to New York City in what I imagine is their final game. It is their final game, isn't it? Yeah, it is their final game. And New York City are one spot ahead of them, level on points at Montreal. Better goal difference, but they lose out on the head-to-head there. So if they win that... And Montreal, let's say, only take one point from the next two games. They could absolutely get through. Montreal play Columbus away. 
Portland at home. So Columbus are fourth in the East, so that's likely a defeat. And Portland are seventh in the West. So Montreal could well lose both games. So if DC United can beat New York City FC, they can absolutely get the spot. I don't really understand the the argument here. Now, New York City would have another game. Uh, They also play Chicago Fire. And Chicago Fire are eighth at the moment. So, yeah, it's all very tight. That's just a story for the sake of a story by the looks of things. Uh, Rooney is the leading contender to become Birmingham City's new new manager, according to football insider uh, Wayne Vesey. Absolute spoofer. But look, I think Rooney will look to move back to England. Um, Manchester United and Tottenham are considering recruiting Atletico Madrid's transfer expert, Andrea Berta, but face competition from Paris Saint-Germain. Now, Paris Saint-Germain have already got Campos, so they don't really need to bring him in. Um, the, the article, the, this, the sub-headline here is, Berta has been credited with reshaping Atletico's haphazard recruitment. Has he? Because the recruitment hasn't been great since he went there. Like, he's been there for 11 years. The first four of which he was the technical director and Camonero was the sporting director. And the recruitment was outstanding. And he got promoted in 2017 and the recruitment has been very mediocre. Like the, he has let Simeone down over and over and over again. Atlético Madrid, 17, 18. Right, 17, 18, what do Atleti do? We're going to pause the podcast here and have a look. <clears throat> they spent 36 million on Vitolo who was dreadful, and then massively overpaid to bring Diego Costa back from Chelsea. So I would say less than ideal. Less than ideal. Uh, So that's that season. 2018-19 then. They signed Rodri, who they'd had and just brought back. They had a buyback on him, so that's fair enough. Thomas Lamar, fair enough. Uh, Gelson Martins didn't work out there at all. And Johnny wasn't good enough for them. And, okay, they also sold Diogo Jota. Yeah, not great. Rodri was a really good signing, but it was an obvious one that they already had a buyback on because he'd been in their academy when Villarreal nabbed him. Atleti managed to work something in rather than compensation. They got some option to buy him back. It took, what, five years? But they eventually brought him back. Um, 
I mean, Lamar hasn't exactly worked out brilliantly. He's had some good spells, but other than that, no. Then we get into the summer of 2019, which to me is a, is a fireable summer. Uh, Godin, Felipe Luiz, and Juan Fran all left. Lucas Hernandez was sold. Um, Antoine Griezmann was sold. And Rodri was sold. So loads of money to spend. Uh, Hermoso, flop. Carrasca, not great. Renan Lodi, hit and miss. Felipe, flop. Lorente had one good season. Other than that, he's been bang average for them. Joe Felix hasn't worked out. And Kieran Trippier. It's not exactly an inspiring window, is it? 2020 uh, then? Uh, what big overpay for Morata? Did sign Luis Suarez, which was good. Um, but overall, you know, not a great summer. Now they win the league, and he gets credited for Simeone's brilliance, but not great. Uh, twenty twenty one, Rodrigo de Paul, Matthias Cunha, who the manager didn't want, and. They bring Griezmann back on on loan. Um, I mean, DePaul's been okay for them. Cunha's already gone. Griezmann's been pretty good, but I mean, they, that's Barcelona's desperation more than anything he did. 2022, having loaned Morata out, they have to bring him back. Witzel on a free. Uh, Samuel Lino. Nahuel Molina. He's pretty good. Lina spent last season out on loan, so he's not getting much opportunity. Memphis, I mean, you know, Matt Doherty, disaster. Uh, Sergio Regulon in on a loan. Not exactly an inspiring window either. And then this past summer, Javi Galan I do like uh, as a left-back. Caglos Yoncho on a free, Aspilicueta on a free, I mean, what is it that he's done that's meant to be impressive here? Like they've sold players for in and around 90 million and not been able to buy because of some of the disastrous moves that he'd made in previous years and the money that they owed out. He wasted all the money in the summer of 2019 when they needed to do a proper rebuild after that legendary defense went out the door. And he just lets Simeone down over and over and over again. So the idea that he's a recruitment expert, I think, is utter crap, to be honest. I think he's I think he's genuinely poor at his job. But I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to take a break. And when we come back, we will have Guy Drinkle. So we will see you after this. Bye-bye. Right. Welcome back. So we're joined by Guy Drinkle, as always, of a Friday. How are you, sir? I don't know where I am. I usually make a joke about Liverpool, but last week was very confusing. So, yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> yeah. We could live without a repeat of last weekend's shenanigans. Um, we do have 10 games in the Premier League this weekend. There are three that stand out to me as massive games. Three that I'm really looking forward to, but a couple that I genuinely couldn't be arsed with. So uh, we'll dig into them and uh, I'll let you know which ones I couldn't be arsed with. So 
Where do we start? I bet you can't wait for Fulham Sheffield. We start with one that, I mean, it could be interesting, but it probably won't be interesting. That's Luton against Tottenham. Uh, now, Dave, I, I haven't even seen the highlights from Luton's midweek or Tuesday game against Burnley. But when I was talking to Tadiwa on Monday, we were discussing this game, obviously. And uh, there was a sense that Luton have obviously been improving as the weeks go by. Um, maybe the Burnley result sets that back a bit. But for me, I don't feel like they've improved to a point where they can up- upset a team like Tottenham unless they do very much Tottenham things. Yeah, I mean, look, Luton, they outshone Dyche, Sean Dyche last weekend and they got the win against Everton. And it's a massive win for them. And then they lose at home to Burnley in the next game in a game that they would have come into really confident and really hopeful. Now, again, it's it, that's a huge win for Burnley because it's their first win of the season as well. But I think Luton will be feeling really deflated after that one. Now, this weekend, they've got no Sambi Laconga, no Osho, no Potts, no Clark, and no Amari Bell. Uh, whereas Tottenham, no Perisic, no Sessegnon, no Bentoncourt, no Hill, no LaCelso. Brennan Johnson is a doubt. Uh, Whiteman is out and Manor Solomon is just really unfortunate. He's torn his meniscus. He obviously joined Spurs or joined Fulham from Shakhtar, had the bad injury, which I think was a meniscus tear, missed the first three months, came back, did really well, earned this move to Spurs, had started quite well, looked decent when he came on against Liverpool last weekend. And now he's looking at another three months or so on the sidelines. And as someone who's experienced this type of injury, it's not fun. Um, so that's a blow to, to him and obviously to them. Is but Darren England fit? Who? Is Darren England fit for them? <laughs> the, big, the big question. <laughs> Will they have their 12th man? Will Simon Hooper parachute in to give them 13? Um, it just means they're really light now in attack because behind Kulisevsky, Son and Richarlison, you would have been looking at Hill injured, Solomon injured, Johnson a doubt, and Perisic injured as their depth. So they don't really have any attacking depth at the moment bar the young Argentine um, who's who's going to have to step up. I mean, they clearly brought him in as a, a project, as someone to develop across this season and not have to rely on. But Velez mm-hmm. is going to have to play a fair bit now moving forward, especially considering, you know, Sun went off on 60-odd against Liverpool. So I do wonder if he's carrying something. Richarlison's always prone to picking up a knock and missing two or three weeks. Kulisewski's not been bulletproof during his career. So they are going to rely on Velez here for the next little while to be to be a key player for them off the maybe, bench. Maybe they'll have to move like Lo Celso further forward in games. Or He's Lissell. injured as well. Oh, is he bloody hell? So maybe, <laughs> I mean, maybe Madison could play wide and they could change the makeup of the midfield a little bit. But they just better hope Brennan Johnson's fit this weekend and ready to go. They've made a really good start. Like, they're second in the league. They're unbeaten. Only them and Arsenal unbeaten in the league. They've shown, I think, a lot of really good traits, you know, coming from behind, 
coming back late to win games like they did at home to Sheffield United, they have at times made things a little bit difficult for themselves. Like they, they've been a little bit sloppy at times defensively. That's understandable. It's a new defense, new midfield. I think once they work out the kinks in that, they'll, they're going to be a formidable team. I, I expect them to win this game because they're just a much better team than Luton. So I'm going to say 3-1 to Spurs. Yep, I'd agree with that. Um, on to the three o'clock, three o'clock kickoff. So get me words out there. Um, firstly, we have Burnley against Chelsea. Dave, um, Chelsea obviously on Monday night football, really boring game against Fulham. Um, again, Burnley, I haven't seen their results from uh, the highlights from their last game, but much needed win on the board. And as I said again to 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 the you on um, Monday, who the hell knows with this game what version of Chelsea will turn up? Will Burnley finally settle into the Premier League, etc. It's a tough one to predict, but I think Chelsea, again, they've got a win against Fulham. Surely they carry that against again against Bournemouth, uh, Burnley rather. Yeah, I mean they're going to have to. They're going to have to. They they need to. Um, they need to step up here because it's been such a poor start. Now they're eleventh. But they've got two wins this season. One is against Luton. One is against Fulham. The Fulham win is is not a bad win at all. Like it's it's a decent win. But they're games that you'd expect them to win. But you also would have expected them to beat Nottingham Forest and and, and the like, you know. And they they couldn't achieve that. So with Chelsea, there's just so many injuries at the moment. Fafana, Nkunku, Chilwell, Lavia, and Gusto all injured. Bettinelli. Badia Shile, major doubts. Nicholas Jackson, I think, is back. Brohia should be okay. Caicedo's uh, back. Mudrick is back. Reese James, I believe, is suspended for this game now. After I he was, don't think it matters. <laughs> he was injured anyway. I think he's yeah. I think that's. I think he's still injured. So that this the band does come, but you know when he's out injured, it doesn't really make a difference. Uh, but they're hoping that Carney Chukwemeka will be back, which is could be a big help to them because he was playing yeah. quite well. For Burnley, um, Manuel Benson is a doubt. Nathan Redmond is out. Ekdal is out. Obafemi is out. And Aaron Ramsey is a doubt. Goodmanson I'm not sure about because he was initially ruled out of this game and the Luton game, but then no, he was in the squad, so he's out as well. Goodmanson is out as well. Um, and I would imagine Ramsey's probably out because he came off the bench against Luton and then got subbed back off, so I'm going to guess he misses out. So they've got some problems themselves. It, this is tough because Burnley have had a, a tough start this season. Like They've played a lot of the top teams already. City, Villa, Spurs, United, Newcastle, and now Chelsea. Um, and all of our Newcastle were at home as well. And they've lost to all of them. Chelsea are just so unpredictable. But Chelsea have the talent. Like, they have the talent to go and win this game. So I'll just say... I'll say 1-0 to Chelsea. I think it'll be a fairly dull game. Yeah, even I wouldn't watch that one. No. Um, 
I might watch this next one. <laughs> um, Everton against Bournemouth, Dave. Um, yeah, Everton last weekend. Just, it, I'm glad I watched it. <laughs> um, Bournemouth, though, probably the more interesting one from an actual footballing point of view, Dave, is this is probably where you have to think their season actually starts because they've had a horrendous start to the season. Mm. And if, if they don't win this one, there will be more questions asked of the new manager. There definitely will. Um and I think they're they're very premature because, you know, they have they have drawn three games, just haven't won a game yet. But they are sitting second from bottom. And it's only seven games and they're they're only a point behind your your Burnley, your Luton and your your Everton. Um but you don't want a big gap to open up between those clubs and say Wolves and Brentford ahead of them. And you'd expect at some point Brentford will start to win some games. If there's a team to play to get your season up and running, it is probably Everton. Now, they obviously got a really good win away to Brentford, which was a big surprise. But you look at their home form, and it hasn't been good. You lost to Fulham without a striker and without Polina. Uh, you lost to Wolves. You lost to Luton. So things are not going well for the Ev. Um, this weekend, Brent, uh, Bournemouth rather will have no Tyler Adams, who had just come back from a long-term injury and has now suffered another long-term injury and is probably out until February. Oh, That's an enormous blow because he was such a big get for them. And if it's the same injury, if it's another tie problem, you'd, thigh problem, you'd wonder, is he is he going to be the same player again? No Ryan Fredericks, no Lloyd Kelly, no Chris Metham, no Alex Scott, but he should be back after the international break. And Marcondes is out as well. Uh, Everton, no Deli Ali, no Seamus Coleman, no Andre Gomes. None of them would really be starting anyway. I think I'm going to pick an Everton win. I'll go one nil Everton. I, 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 I with, with, with Adams out, it's just such a big blow because the one area Bournemouth have really struggled with this season is. Defensive transition, and Adams was going to be absolutely vital, breaking up play and just tracking runners and doing the, all the Tyler Adams things, being that dynamic presence in front of his back four. With him not there, like teams are running through their midfield, and they're making sloppy tackles and giving away a lot of free kicks and two penalties last weekend. Yeah. Now, Everton don't have great firepower. They don't have great movement and attack. They're very fundamental, very rudimentary, very basic. But I'm going to pick a 1-0 Everton win, as much as it pains me. I've got to start playing the two big lads up top. I want, I want to see it. I reckon we- they go all three. Calvert-Lewin, Net, uh, Bet- Beto, and Cermetti. Play all three of them. They're all 6-3, six, 6-4. Six, Seven in defence, those three up front, and just lump it long and see what happens. Just McNeil, only lad you pass to, whip it in. That's all yeah. you need. Whipping in crosses from his own half. Them four lads and everyone else is a centre-back. That's the dream. And then win, win, win corners. 
score off every corner you take. Um, I don't know which three o'clock game I'm going to watch, but it's certainly not going to be this next one, Dave, and that is Fulham and Sheffield United. Um, Fulham are weird. We'll probably harp back to this every bloody Friday. The summer wasn't good enough. Um, no. Either was Sheffield United's, and this I feel like this game will be ugly. It's a good chance for Sheffield United to get their first win, but at the same time, Fulham still have Joe Polina, which is probably the only bright spot for them. <laughs> but their attack is probably the worst in the league on paper. Because even if like William was resurrected last season, mm. still not doing the goals. Eva's Harry Wilson, unless it's a set piece. And Raul Jimenez is not the same bloke since his injury. Like, no. Who, who is doing the goals? And then you bring on um, Vinicius last week and he tries to punch Thiago Silva in the back of the head for some reason. It's like, what the hell? Yeah. It, it, uh, the, the decision to sell Mitrovic, obviously he forced that transfer. They didn't want to sell him. He forced his way out. But you had time to go and find a replacement. You knew he wanted to leave all summer. Yeah. You delayed it that long. So that gave you plenty of time to find a replacement. Now, I've said this before. I said it last season. I'm going to continue to say it. Tony Khan, I think, has all the right intentions. He's doing that club a disservice by not appointing someone to run the football club on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. Because his attention is split massively. He's running AEW on a day-to-day basis, which, again, is not doing that company any favours. He needs to appoint a permanent booker. And he's also got a day job with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So how is it possible for him to run the club? Even if you take into account just the fact that he's in the States and not in England, that's problematic because he's not there day-to-day. He doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, he can get emails and phone calls, but he's not there. He's not feeling the atmosphere and the mood in the building. And I do think that's a big miss for them in the summer as well, not appointing a proper sporting director. That hampered their summer. They got blessed to keep Polina. I I think they could very well have gone down if they hadn't kept Joe Polina. This is not going to be a fun game. Um, they, they've scored five goals this season. And the only other teams who scored as few are Bournemouth and Sheffield United, who are the bottom two as we speak. Sheffield United this weekend, no Baldock, no Asolo, no Norrington Davies, no Lowe, no Osborne, Fleck is a doubt, no Egan, and no Daniel Jebison. And Fulham, uh, no Tosin, Adama Traore could be back. Uh, and Kenny Tete could be back, but they're both doubts. Like you said, who's getting goals for Fulham? At least with Sheffield United. Like, they went out in the summer and they addressed their needs in attack. They got Cameron Archer in. But as things stand, they're just, they're falling apart at the back. They've already conceded 19 goals. I mean, they conceded eight to Newcastle, who don't score a ton of goals as is. Um, Where is this game? It's in Fulham. We'll go Fulham to win, then we'll go 1-0. But first goal wins. 
No, literally, no. literally, blow, first blow goal up, should win here. Blow it up, referee to someone scores. Um, I think this one might be the one I watch at three o'clock, and that's Manchester United against Brentford. Dave, on paper, and it's a shame Tony's missing because I think it'd make it a lot more simpler. This game should really suit Brentford because United, obviously at home, they will have to take the game to Brentford because they like playing on the counter attack as much as United do. Um. But in the wake of that Galatasaray game, Dave, I mean, there is some positives. Well, positive. Hoyland's probably the positive. Um, well, God, they have so many question marks and decisions to make, and I don't think Ten Hag will make them at all. The goalkeeper's got to be dropped. I don't care if it wrecks his confidence. Yeah, agreed. You just can't. No, uh, you, can't, you can't play him. You can't play him. Not... Like, it, it's not just one or two mistakes. It's a mistake pretty much every game. A big, big mistake. Yeah. And, like, it's not even, like, a thing where he's making a mistake, but he's brilliant the rest of the game. Mm. Like, he's making multiple big mistakes every game. Like, his shot-stopping's awful. Yeah, the different types of mistakes as well, and that's the worry. Yes. Because he's famed for passing. Can't pass. That uh, Icardi chip, I mean... Why is he lying on the floor? <laughs> Just stand up. You're, <laughs> you're trained as a young goalkeeper at, like, 10 to make yourself as big as possible, to not commit, to let the striker make the decision, don't make the decision for him. And this is twice we've seen this this year. Remember when Awani ran from the halfway line? Yeah. And he just sat down. And now this, he just lies on the floor. It's awful. Mm. And he's awful on crosses. Every save he makes, he seems to palm it back out into a dangerous area. It's it's just not good enough. 50 million quid they paid for him. Is that he's the, the third? third or fourth yeah. most expensive keeper ever. Kepa, Allison. Him, I think. I think it's him. I think he's the third one. And, like, obviously, Kepa didn't work out. But, like, at least with Kepa, there was one flaw. Now, it was a big flaw. He couldn't save shots from outside his box. But everything else was pretty good. Like, decent on crosses, a very good shot stopper from short uh, short range. Mm. But And Kepa was not- young. Kepa was yeah. young. Onana's like, what, 27? Peak of his powers. Uh, just come off a Champions League final season with Inter Milan. Um, and he looks like he's never played again. <laughs> it's it's so strange. And it's worth noting as well that Inter Milan, having gotten rid of him, have only conceded three goals in seven league games this year. Who like, did they replace him with? They brought in the oh, Swiss fella from from Bayern. Uh, that's a bloody name! Christ, that's a that's a shocker that they can't remember his name. He's a Sommer. Yeah, Jan Sommer. Yeah, Jan Sommer. Like they brought in him, and all of a sudden they just look better. Well, when they bought him originally from Ajax, didn't they keep with Handanovic for a season or for, half a season? For, for half a season, yeah, yeah. Like this is the thing with Onana, like. If you look at his recent career, his last season at Ajax, 
he misses most of the year with a drugs ban, having missed, you know, the end of the previous year with the same ban. He only plays 10 games in that last year. Then he goes to Inter last season, has one year with them. And it's not like he was outstanding all season long. He just wasn't. Like he had a number of ricks last season. But for Inter to get him on a free and then sell him for 50 million quid a year later is absolutely outrageous business. Hmm. Let's not forget he fell out with a Cameroon coach as well in the World Cup. And left left the World Cup, which raises major question marks about his his personality and his attitude. Now, I, I think I think there is a world in which he's a pretty decent goalkeeper because he showed last year at Inter that he is he is a decent goalkeeper. There's no doubt. He's just not a fifty million pound goalkeeper, mm. and. The problem he has at United is that their defence just isn't good. Like, at right back, you've got Delo and you've got Wambasaka. They're both flawed. Neither of them are good enough to be starting for a club like Man United. At left back, you've got Luke Shaw, who somehow people have forgotten that for the majority of his career at United, he's actually been really poor. Like, he's had basically one really good season which was the year there was no fans in the stands and lots of players had good years he had that one decent run early in his United career before he broke his ankle yeah last season he was pretty good at at centre back back. he was better (laughs) at centre back than he was at left back but he was still good like he he, you know but but the season in between he wasn't good the 21-22 season he wasn't good now, United weren't good that year, so you know you can you can look at that too. But you're basically looking at one full season, one two thirds of a season, and one bit of a season. So maybe two full seasons total across his entire United career. He's there ten years. So there's this idea that he's this great left back. Because he's England's left back, but he's England's left back because they've no good left backs. Like and him Gareth, and Ben Chilwell. And Gareth Southgate's the manager. And Gareth Southgate's the manager. Like Harry Maguire's England centre back doesn't mean anything. I mean, if you put say Rico Henry there, would we have noticed? <laughs> I think we we'd have noticed an improvement. Yeah. I think Rico Henry's a better player than him. He doesn't have his maybe his passing ability, but he's a better crosser. He's a better one v one defender. He's a lot quicker. Then at centre-back, you've got the corpse of Raphael Varane, who's still their best centre-back. But he'd been declining before Real sold him. Mm. And that hasn't stopped. You've got Victor Lindelof, who was really good at Benfica, joined United, got paired with Harry Maguire, and has regressed. You've got Harry Maguire, who's... You've got Harry Maguire... And you've got Martinez, who's five foot four. None of that is ideal. And then in front of them, you've got the corpse of Casemiro. Now, they managed to get every last bit of magic that Casemiro had left in him last season. But he also, like, there was a bunch of games last season where Casemiro was really poor, like really poor, but scored a goal. And because people... 
look at the scoreline and react to the scoreline, people thought he was playing well all season long, but he wasn't. Like he was, he was good last season, but he wasn't great. Like that Bayern, wasn't peak Casemiro that we saw at Real Madrid. During Bayern Munich, he scored like, two goals, and then everyone was like, he was probably the best outfield. He, but he was the worst player on the pitch. I was say, yeah. He was awful. Yeah. And like he's been sent off what four times since joining United. Like and and almost always it's because he's too slow to catch up with somebody. Mm. I they've got major major structural issues there. You've also got the fact of look how they're playing. Right, Ten Hag came in to play this possession based controlling football. You know another another Guardiola light type, you know, in the Arteta kind of mould. But that's not how they play. They play a deep block and they counter-attack against anyone decent. Not not good, just decent. That's what they do. They try and soak up pressure and they counter-attack. And that's not what Onana suits. Onana suits the idea of the Ten Hag team. He doesn't suit the actuality of the Ten Hag team. Like he suits what Ten Hag did at Ajax when the defence defended the halfway line and they pinned teams back. Even at Inter last season, he had to adapt slightly because even though Simone Inzaghi wants to play possession-based football, he still plays a back three and they they sit in a mid-block. So it did take Onana a bit of time to adapt to that. But a mid-block is still an advanced block. It's not like what they're playing at United. So when his centre-backs are on top of him, it also means that the opposition forward players are on top of him. And there's no room for error when you do that. Like, if you're playing in a deep block team, you're going to give up a lot of shots. And we like to slag off Jordan Pickford on this podcast. But Jordan Pickford is a good shot stopper. Now, he makes a, a fair amount of mistakes, but he is a good shot stopper. Onana's not a good shot stopper. So when you're asking him to face a lot of a lot of work, you're going to end up with mistakes. When you're inviting pressure and you're inviting crosses into your box and you don't have that dominant centre-back the way, you know, like a Sean Dyche will have a James Tarkovsky type. Yeah. Ollie had Maguire. And for all his flaws... You put a cross into a box with Harry Maguire, he will go and win that. It's the one thing he does really well is dominate the aerial side of things. But United don't have that because Varane has never been great in the air. He's he's decent, but he's never been great in the air. And the other fella's five foot four and scared to challenge in the air. So you're now asking your goalkeeper to come and deal with a lot of that. And Onana is really poor on crosses. Really poor. So he has been let down by the manager, by his teammates, by the price tag and the pressure as well. Like, that's not letting him down, but that's causing things to be magnified. Mm. I, I do think, like, there's there's definite talent there. And, like, we've seen him step out to the edge of his box and start pinging the ball around, and he can do that very well. But he does lapse in concentration. That's exactly what happened against Calatastra. I mean, there's just no excuse for that pass. That's just a complete brain fart. And before 
you'd see him do that maybe once or twice a season. He's done it a couple of times already at United and we're seven games into the season. Well, nine games, ten games in, including Champions League and, and the Cup. But, like, this is just going to keep getting worse unless they make some sort of alteration. And I honestly think the best thing they could do when they start getting a few defenders back, like Shaw, is go to a back three. Go Lindelof, Varane and Shaw as the back three. Delo and Regulon as wing-backs. Casemiro and Eriksen as a two. Bruno as a ten. And play Rashford and Hoysland up front. And try and move that block 15 yards further forward. And try and pen teams back in a little bit more. Relieve some of that pressure on Onana. Open things up for him to use his passing as well. And I think you'd get more out of Rashford and Bruno and Hoysland as well. Plus, with smaller space to try and cover, I think you'd you'd mask some of the flaws with Casemiro now and with Eriksen, who's, you know, he's not exactly a marathon runner himself either. You you just I, I think by by actually playing a little bit more advanced, you could actually make things more compacted. And you'd ease the pressure on your goalkeeper a bit more as well. I think, you know, Mount fits into that shape as well. So does Garnacho, so does Martial, so does Malasia. Um, Juan Basaka could play right side of the back three. The, the gnome could, you could play the gnome in midfield with Casemiro. That might be your best bet. Sit the two of them in as dual ball winners with wing backs and a back three behind them. And you'll be a bit more solid defensively. You can be a bit more aggressive in your press. And even if you lack genuine creativity, because Bruno's a creative player, but a lot of his creation comes in transition, you'll still get those transition opportunities. But you'll also get turnovers higher up the field where maybe you win the ball and all of a sudden Rashford's in a 1v1 situation. And Marcus Rashford is great 1v1. So all he needs to do is beat that one defender and he's in on goal. I I think that's the best course of action for them not carrying on doing whatever it is they've been trying to do this season. Yeah, um, something's got to change. Something has changed massively. Now, they've got a bunch of injuries for this game. They've got no Martinez, no Wan-Bissaka, no Shaw, no Malashia, no Manu, no Regulon, no Sancho, who's still suspended because he won't say sorry, and no uh, Ahmed Diallo. Uh, but Brentford are also kind of bare bones. No Rico Henry done for the season. Tony's obviously suspended. Uh, Shade's out till January after surgery. De Silva's out. Baptiste is out. Damsgaard is out. Um, he had minor surgery last week to clean out his knee. So they're hoping he'll be back kind of the end of this month. And then Ben Mee is a doubt as well. So, you know, they, they're fairly patching it together as well. I am going to go for a United win. I don't have any faith in them. And they've been god-awful at home this year. I mean, Wolves outplayed them fairly comfortably. Forrest went 2-0 up. Brighton went and spanked them. And then, obviously, they lose to Crystal Palace and Galatasaray. But with with, with Brentford not having Tony, I think I'm going to go for the United win. I'll say 2-1. 
Yeah, that game could be anything. Um, moving on to the late kickoff on the Saturday, we have Palace against Forest, Dave. Um, it's a weird game because it's almost the team that stayed still in Palace, they've only really brought in uh, Jefferson Lerma, who's made an impact so far. And then Nottingham Forest, who we thought settled on something last season, just fancy blowing that up and buying 800 fullbacks and 800 defensive midfielders and changing it up a bit more. Um, tough one to predict. I think Roy's probably due a draw. Yeah, there's a sniff of, there's a sniff of 1-1 off this one, to be honest. Yeah. Um, now, the thing is, for Palace, Eze's out. That's a huge blow. Because yeah. with Elise out, Eze was having to carry the entire creative burden because Zaha left. So no Eze. There is a positive in that Nathan Ferguson is back in training. So he's working his way back. I just want to see that kid play football. That's it. I, I, I don't even care if he comes back and he's crap. I just want to see him get on the pitch and have that joy of playing. Uh, no Elise. Ahamada is still out. Uh, Matthias Franke is still out. Jefferson Lerma, they're hopeful he'll be back. James Tompkins is a doubt. Odson Edward is a doubt. And Dean Henderson, I mean, the poor fella, gets his big move finally. Plays, what, 19 minutes against United, the club that sold him, that didn't believe in him. And uh, he's out injured again. So, you know, that's not ideal. Nine players injured or, you know, who are out or a doubt for them. Not much better for, for Forrest. Uh, Danilo's out for another month or so. Nuno Tavares is out till the after the, till after the international break. So is Felipe. Musa Niakata is suspended. Nicholas Dominguez is a doubt. Ola Aina is a doubt. Ryan Yates is a doubt. And Wayne Hennessy is out. So a lot of injuries both sides. Two, I think, fairly evenly matched teams will go the draw. 1-1. One, one. Yep, absolutely. Moving on to Sunday then. Uh, first televised game on Super Sunday. Uh, Brighton against Liverpool, Dave. Interesting, obviously, Brighton having a weird season so far. Maybe struggling to manage midweek games because they're rotating too much, I'd say. Whereas Liverpool, we obviously have a couple suspensions after last weekend, uh, an injury as well with Gakpo and a, a few others. Um, interesting game. It probably comes down to which defence deals better because Brighton's yeah. well-known and Liverpool's... It feels like individually they're getting there, but yeah. systemic, still there, the issues. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, my hope is that Joe Gomez starts right back in this game because uh, I think he's better equipped to deal with Matoma, and I don't think Trent looks like he's quite right yet. Uh, Liverpool have no Curtis Jones suspended, no Diogo Jota suspended. Alcantara has had a setback. Kelleher is out. Besetic, I assume, is still out. And Gakpo is out. So, you know, they, they're... Missing some very vital players. I mean, Jones would be a starter. Gakpo and Jota are their attacking rotation options. So they're always great to have off the bench. And obviously either of them could start as well. Thiago hasn't kicked a ball this season, so they're not really missing him, but he's just not available to them. Um, Brighton, no. Enciso, no Estupinen. Milner looks like he's out. Lalana's out, and Jakob Motor 
is out. So they're missing some, you know, I mean, Astupinen is, is uh, I think, the best left back in the league. But he's out and, and Inciso is a player I just adore. And the longer he's out, the sadder I get. This one, this could be anything. This could be 3-0 to Brighton. This could be 3-0 to Liverpool. This could be 3 all. Brighton have issues. Their, their system exposes the weaknesses of their goalkeeper centre-back pairing and the lack of a real holding midfielder. Mm. And Liverpool's system exposes the lack of a real holding midfielder and the weakness of their left-back. Now, Liverpool's problems are probably easier to fix because they can they can change the shape a little bit. With Brighton, it's more about how they play in their shape. Liverpool, it's 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 just it's the moving parts in the shape more than anything. Um, I'm going to go two one to Liverpool. I said a couple of weeks ago I, I would have been really happy with a draw here, but having lost at Spurs, I, I think. I think they've got to go for the win here because you don't want to lose any more. The two, the two points off City, you don't want to lose any more points from City if, if you're going to try and stay in the mix. Um, and especially considering, I, I think Spurs will win this weekend, which will put them on 20. You'd want to try and keep pace with them too because I think second is probably the aim here. Um, so yeah, I'll go 2-1 Liverpool, but again, it could be anything. It could be absolutely anything. There will be goals. I think that's the only thing we can say. It just depends who gets the most of them. Um, Again, another fun game, West Ham-Newcastle, Dave. Newcastle, historic result midweek. PSG, though. Dear me. Um, But West Ham serves a very different threat to PSG, Dave. They have heard of Dan Byrne. They know what a six-foot million left-back looks like. And mm. I know they impressed in midweek, obviously keeping PSG's um, attack relatively quiet. But Charles Lascelles, Dan Byrne, I, I feel like West Ham, if they can get Bowen and Antonio cooking in the game, they can take advantage of that. But obviously Newcastle started to find form, exclamation point, by the PSG game. Yeah, 100%. And remember as well, they, they kept that, that PSG attack quiet without Sven Botman, who's the best defender. So that that's really impressive. Um, no Harvey Barnes, no Joe Willock, no Botman, no Anthony Gordon. Uh, I think it's, I assume it's five yellows, probably all for diving. Um, but Callum Wilson should be okay. Jolington is a doubt. They miss him when he's not there. But look, Longstaff is in great form. As yes. is as is Gamerish. And Tonali is starting to find his way, which is good. Uh for West Ham, no Cresswell, no Johnson, but they're the backup fullbacks, not not a massive issue. But Antonio hasn't trained. So right. they are a little bit concerned about him. Moy said today it's basically 50-50 whether he's good to go at the weekend. If he's not, I mean, does Danny Ing start up front? Do they move Bowen? Move into Kudus. the central area. They could play Mohamed Kudus in that role. Uh, last night, they, they beat Freiburg 2-1, a really good win for them. 
mm-hmm. away. Uh, they played Kudus on the right, Paqueta as a 10, Fornals off the left, and Bowen up front. So I wouldn't be entirely surprised if they go with something similar here. That'd be exciting on the counter, so... Yeah, it, very much so. They might... I mean, they've got Ben Rama as an option. They can play Ward-Prowse as a 10 if they want to fit Suchek into midfield as well, next to Alvarez. Um, I have to say, I was I was really impressed with how that centre-back pairing of Mavroponos and Agard looked last night. Mm. I thought that was, was very good. Um, I think they're going to pose a really tough test for this Newcastle team. And I'm actually going to pick West Ham to win. I'm going to go 2-1 to the Hammers. Yeah, I think it'll be a fun game either mm, way. Definitely. I just I feel like Newcastle, it might just be a bit of a come down after that incredible night. And that, that was, they were, look, we, we could get into PSG and we could spend half an hour on PSG. Despite this being a Premier League podcast. That might be the team for the scouted you were asking about a bit. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Although, <laughs> things just sacked the manager and you were all right. Yeah, basically. Well, Newcastle were brilliant. Like They were genuinely brilliant on the night. The energy level, the atmosphere was insane and really drove those players on. And I do just wonder if that, to a mundane, run-of-the-mill Premier League game away from home, Probably some tired legs in the squad. I feel like West Ham might take advantage of that, even though West Ham were away in the week. So they've had travel as well. I feel like I feel like West Ham will win the game. I'll go 2 1. Yeah. Um Wolves against Villa, Dave. Um Midlands Derby, obviously. Villa they won dramatically last night. I won't try and pronounce the team. I can't be bothered looking it up either. Um but um Again, they seem to be very up and down. Obviously, last weekend was massive with Brighton. But these European games are becoming a bit of a slog. And you see when they go beyond probably the first 12 or 13 players, not too much behind it. Um, But you're assuming they will play the first 11 in this one. But Wolves, after last weekend... Maybe people were writing off their season a bit too prematurely. Gary Gary O'Neill's done a a fine start to his managerial career at Wolves, to be fair. Yeah, he has. And they got that amazing win last weekend, like you said, and and they're going to be full of confidence. Villa, I've only seen the extended highlights. Villa really huffed and puffed against um, Zrinski. I think it's Zrinski. Yeah, we'll go with that. Um... A 1-0 win is a 1-0 win, though, and you're happy to get the three points and just move on. But they, they have been good in the Premier League. Um, they sit fifth. Obviously, they they got walloped at Newcastle and Liverpool beat them comfortably and probably could have walloped them if they if they really wanted to. But they've won five the other five games, and, and they've looked good. Um, whereas Wolves have won twice and looked good in some games. Like They were great in the first half against us. They were... Great against United. They were really good against um, against City last weekend. And so much of it depends on Neto and Cunha. Like, they're just so vital to this Wolves team. Uh, Wolves have everybody available bar Bellegarde, who's suspended. Um, everybody else is fit and ready to go. So Tommy Doyle is back and the rest are good to play. Villa, no Buendia, no Mings. They're both out for the season. No Moreno. 
no Eric Bonham. Diaby's a doubt, which and and so is Kamara. And those are like those two were so good against Brighton. Like in a team that played brilliantly, those two just stood out a mile. Even Ollie Watkins, as great as he was, he was the third best player on the day. Um and Jacob Ramsey's out again. So he's had such a stop start season so far that you feel for him because he was he was I think he was primed for a big year. He did he really good last year, promising the year before. I think he was really going to explode this year and mm. properly announce himself as as one of the better English midfielders. He should be in the Euro conversation. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. There's no question. Man, um, you, can't, you can't replace John Henderson, Harry Maguire. So no, no chance there, Jim. Oh, well, that's the, that's the thing. I mean, who, who, could, who could do what Jordan does? I mean, who will shout and point? Chris Jones, Ward Prowse don't have legs apparently. No. Uh, um, Wolves are at home here, so I'm going to give them. I'm going to give Wolves some some extra boost because they're at home. Their home performances have been pretty good. Molyneux is a decent ground in terms of atmosphere. Can get a little bit, a little bit needlessly ag- um, aggro, but I'll say two-two. Where Wolves are getting two goals from, I'm not a hundred percent sure. So he scored eight in the league so far, but I'm going to go. I'm going to go two-two. I think it'll be a good game. The Korean guy getting a double there. <laughs> God, Pep Guardiola. Um, on to Pep Guardiola. Uh, Arsenal City, Dave. Obviously, the big one of the weekend. The just, I think the big question is how do each team deal with their big misses? I'm at Saka. I reckon Saka could have his head off, and uh, Arteta would probably still play him. So he might play, but he's obviously came off midweek, and City don't have Rodri. Um. Who do you think would deal better with the miss? And obviously, Pep's kind of got this voodoo over Arteta as well. Yeah, well, Pep is, is Arteta's daddy. So, I mean, he just spanks his arse every time he steps in a line. Um, City are a, are a significantly better team than Arsenal. But without Rodri, I think it did even the playing field a little bit. But Arsenal, Martinelli's almost certainly out. And I think Saka... I think it would be very foolhardy to play him because he said after he came off during the week that he felt something muscular. Mm-hmm. And with Bikayo Saka is the best player at Arsenal. I why mean, was he why was he playing against Lens? I've no idea. I, I genuinely don't know. I, I genuinely can't wrap my head around why he wasn't given a break because he's he's been run into the ground. Like Arsenal Arsenal are very, very fortunate that, you know, him and Martinelli sort of appeared at the same time. You know, they, they signed Martinelli, obviously, but, and Saka came through the academy. Mm-hmm. And they, they all of a sudden stumbled in, having wasted, you know, loads of money on Nicolas Pepe and others. Suddenly they stumbled into this incredibly dynamic wide pairing. But Bikayo Saka is 22 years of age, just turned 22. He's already played 189 senior games for Arsenal. He's going to be retired at 28. Yeah. 
This is my concern. Add on top of that 30 games for England. So you're already at 223, sorry, 219 uh, senior matches at that age. That's, for me, that's just a little bit much. And like 38, 46, 43, 48. He's played every game in the Premier League the last two seasons. Like, there's just no no break for him. He's on 10 appearances already this season. So, what are we? We're about a fifth of the way through. So, he's on track for 50 appearances. I think, I know it's City, and I know you want to be full strength, but it's October. And I think it would be better to not play him and lose the game than to play him, possibly, probably still lose and potentially have him get injured and be out for two or three months. Because you don't have him, you're in major trouble. You don't have yeah. anyone in your squad that can step in and, and replicate what he does. You you literally have to either play Vieira there or move Odegaard there, which mixes or, your whole... Or play team. Havertz there or Reese no, Nelson, nobody, which... Well, it's, Reese Nelson is on a hundred grand a week. Can't get on the bench some weeks. <laughs> it's not a good like. There's no good option. I I think you've just got to give the lad a, a little bit of a rest to recover from the injury. Um, City obviously um, no KDB, which is a huge blow for them. And you could you could see it last week against Wolves. Like they they really could not break down that Wolves backline, and that's the lack of him. But Bernardo's back and looked really good in midweek uh, against uh, Leipzig. So that's a positive. Uh, the other absentee, obviously, is Jurian Timber, who's out for the out for the season. Um, it's City at home. Foden's in good form. Alvarez is in great form. It's at the Emirates, by the way. Oh, it's at the Emirates. Mm. Oh, why did I think it was at the Etihad? Oh, I'm an idiot. Uh, right, well, I was going to say 3-1 to City. I'll go 2-1 to City instead. I still think they're the better team. Mm-hmm. And I think Foden and Doku on the wings with Alvarez behind... Alvarez behind Haaland mm. is is fairly formidable. Like, it's fairly formidable. Stones being back can help fill Stones back, so... Back. What do you do in midfield? Do you go Stones and Bernardo as a two? On Tad show, I said, and this was before I knew Stones was back in the mix, you just had to go Calvin Phillips because we've seen Kovacic as a six at Chelsea for many years. He just isn't a six. No. And Nunes is obviously more attacking, um, so you can't do it either. So if it wasn't Stones, it'd have to be Calvin Phillips, but Pep kind of wants him to die, so, you know. <laughs> um, I wonder will he go Stones and Kovacic yeah, with Bernardo sure. maybe in, on one wing and Foden on the other, and maybe one of Doku, maybe one of Doku or Alvarez misses out this time. But I think Alvarez has to play because his form dictates it. So maybe yeah. Doku misses out and maybe plays Bernardo one wing and Foden the other. Mind you, bring a Doku on against a tired Ben White. Yeah, is ideal. So ha- have Foden start there, running ragged. Have Bernardo start the other side and run whoever Arsenal play at left back ragged, and then you've got Doku and Grealish to bring on, and like Grealish, 
my thoughts on Grealish are well known. But one thing he does really well is he lures defenders into fouls and tired defenders will commit fouls. So if if you can get one of those fullbacks who's just out on their feet and throw Grealish on them, mm. potentially that's a couple of yellow cards waiting but, to happen there. Doku against Zinchenko as well, if he would be hilarious. Yeah. Would be absolutely hilarious. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to go 2-1 City. They will miss Rodri, but they're just better in every area than Arsenal. They've got a better goalkeeper, the better defence. Even without even without Rodri, I still think the midfield is about even and they're just a better attacking side. Um, and if Saka is out, it, that's a huge blow. Even if he, like, he's, whatever, he's not going to be 100%. So even if he does start, he's not going to be at his very best, I don't think. I'll go 2-1 to City. And that's the last game. Right, we will leave it there then, and we'll be back Monday. Next week, we're running Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Yeah, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday next week. So, uh, speak to you then. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.